each one would be an opportunity to witness of your goodness to these kids. Pray that you'd be with all the Christian school teachers wherever you place them, that they would teach our young children about the love of our Savior Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. The hymn is 169. 169. Going to have uh, Jeanette play it through one time as uh, this is new to us. But I trust as you uh, will uh, be focused upon the words and the music as well that uh, you'll see the beauty of this song. It's a, it's a very personal song um, as we sing it because um, you're, you're, you're in a sense singing about yourself. Um, so listen for that, follow along uh, in the words, Master speak, thy servant heareth. Jeanette, through one time, then we'll stand to sing. seated. Well done on a, on a new hymn. 2 Kings chapter 16. The book of 2 Kings chapter 16. This will be the last of the Old Testament trees that we look at. Not last because it's the last one mentioned. But last, because we'll take the leave of Old Testament trees this evening and, Lord willing, pick up in the New Testament the theme of those trees and the message of those trees to us today as well. 2 Kings chapter 16 is where we will be reading from this evening. Let us hear then. This breathed out word of the Lord to us. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, 
the king of Judah began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath from Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath, and the Edomites came to Elath, where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker, and he killed Rezin. When King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, he saw the altar that was in Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern, exact in all its details. Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with all that King Ahaz has sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it. Before King Ahaz arrived from Damascus, and when the king came from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. Then the king drew near to the altar and went up on it and burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and poured his drink offering and threw the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. The bronze altar that was before the Lord, he removed from the front of the house, from the place between his altar and the house of the Lord, and put on the north side of and put it on the north side of his altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering and the king's burnt offering and his grain offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offering and their drink offering and throw on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the frames of the stands and removed the basin from them. And he took down the sea from off the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a stone pedestal. The covered way for the Sabbath that had been built inside the house and the outer entrance for the king he caused to go around the house of the Lord because the king of Assyria, because of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of Ahaz and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word again tonight that was read and heard read. Already reading here about how they worshipped you under every green tree. Even the promises we talked about this morning of that new life of spring because the trees are greening can be turned into an idolatrous thing. Lord, we pray that you'll give Pastor Bob words that you have given him during this week, that he will speak your words to us and that we will take that, apply it to our lives, and go from here to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we want to look at three things regarding the idolatry that this passage is speaking to us about. In particular, we want to center on the passage that 
our brother Jim just prayed about as well. What does that phrase, under every green tree, mean? So we want to look at the practice of idolatry, the reality of idolatry, and then the forgiveness of idolatry. And as we think about the practice of idolatry, one of the things that kind of comes to the fore here is the fact that as we've been looking at all of these trees and these trees scattered throughout the scriptures remind us of works of God, of things that God has done, of events where we see the hand of God at work. Trees also, as our brother Jim prayed, can also become objects of worship. They can become, in and of themselves, things that are worshipped. If you turn with me for a moment to the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. Isaiah, chapter 44. I really don't need to to preach much on this, to, to say much more, because the Word of God tells us about this in, in such clear manner. So if you turn to Isaiah 44, I'm going to pick it up at verse 9. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. Let them be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar. And the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over half he eats meat and roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worship it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there any knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also break bed on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? I think the word of the Lord through Isaiah has placed this very clearly before us. Yes, even trees became objects of worship. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that scattered out so that Isaiah speaks of this as that which is happening even within God's people. We read of them, for example, of making and forming Asherah poles. But it didn't end in Old Testament. It didn't end in New Testament times. We have, for example, the, the, the story of Boniface, an 8th century missionary sent to Germany. Perhaps more the location of the Netherlands than it was necessarily Germany. 
where they worshipped a great oak. Boniface cut it down. Bold move. But they worshipped a tree. And he was appalled that people would gather around and worship a tree. Yet so is the heart of man. So is idolatry. There are those who do indeed worship the block of wood. They worship the creation. More about that to come. But there is something else that is going on here. When we go back to chapter 16, verse 4. And he sacrificed and made offerings, where? On the high places and on the hills. And then it says, and under every green tree. I want you to ask yourself the question, what is going on under the green trees? What are they doing? What is happening there? Well, when we look at the various verses that are offered here, okay, particularly if you would turn to, back to Isaiah chapter 57, we would read the following. Isaiah 57 verse 5. You who burn with lust among the oaks under every green tree. You see, that phrase, under every green tree, implies lust. It implies I think one of the versions uses an inflamement. It's used to describe sexual lust. And we know that that sexual lust that took place under the green trees went both ways. It involved homosexuality and it involved lesbianism. Under the green tree. I hope you catch the idea that there is some sort of an attempt to conceal, some sort of an attempt to hide, some sort of an attempt to cover See, it's not up on the high places where it can be seen. It's not up on the hills where it can be observed. This is practices that took place under the green trees. That which would provide some sort of cover to what is happening, to what is taking place. This is what Ahaz is involved in. This is what King Ahaz is promoting. He's promoting, as we read in those opening verses, not only the sacrifice of his son, but he's offering the the idea of worship to these pagan deities in acts of worship, in sacrifices, in offerings, on the high places, on the hills, But it also implies the acts taking place under the green tree. The second Kings chapter 16 is one of those sad chapters of Scripture. Because we see the people of God, so-called people of God. But look at what they're doing. Look at what they're involved in. And they're following their king who is orchestrating all of this. As the chapter goes on, yes, he, he, he makes an alliance with this Tiglath Eliezer. He, he goes up to Damascus to meet him and there he finds this this altar, and he decides, 
Let's replace the altar that God desired. Let's replace the altar that God commanded. Let's set that off to the side. And let's just use that for some purposes. But let's put the great altar, let's put this altar front and center. And let's seek to, to perform our worship through this altar that we invent. And, and let's get rid of these other items that Solomon had. Let, let's just throw them out. And this way of the Sabbath, this, this place by which you could come to the temple, let's divert that. So that this way of the Sabbath, the way of worship, let, let's go around that. Let's get around the worship of God. And let's not involve ourselves in those old patterns, in those old customs, in those old rules, in those old regulations. This is the new time. But there is something else about that phrase. The abomination that it is, that is even something more startling, under every green tree. And I don't think that the scripture is simply being and using hyperbole. I think that's literal. What does that tell you? That that kind of practice, that kind of pagan idolatry with its sinful sexual practices was taking place under every green tree. Because that's the word of the Lord. That's what it says. That's what Isaiah said. It's the same word and it's used Several times. Back in Deuteronomy, it's used by God to say, when you come into the land, the practices that you find among the pagans under every green tree, you've got to get rid of. Well, they're not getting rid of it. They're practicing. I want you to think of three words associated with that phrase of under every green tree. One, it was prevalent. This was not just a few here or there. This was not just one or two. This was not just one location or two locations. This practice, this abominable practice of seeking to worship by the acts that God had commanded not to be done by acts of adultery was prevalent. It would be like saying this, wherever you turned, it was going on. Wherever you looked, it seemed to raise its very ugly nature. You never knew where you were going to come across it. And then suddenly it's there. It's very prevalent. But what also is interesting, under the cover of the trees, it's not really a secret, is it? Everybody knows it. Everybody is aware of it. It's prevalent in the sense of its practice, but also it's no longer a secret. Under every green tree. You come to expect it. You come to a green tree, what would you expect to find happening underneath it? Adulterous sexual intercourse of one way or another. It's no secret. This is no, shh, quiet. Let's not talk about this. This is flamboyance. Third word. It's also flaunted. It's not just that it's happening everywhere. And it's not just that it's no longer a secret that it's going on. That people go, green tree, we know what's happening under the green tree. It's also flaunted. So what? Big deal. 
What are you going to make of it? You got a problem with it? You think there's something wrong with the practice of under the green tree? We could care less. We could care less. We'll sacrifice our children on the high places. We'll worship the pagan gods on the hills. And we'll commit the grossest sexual sin that we can think of and find. And we could care less. The practice of idolatry. See, that's, what, that's what's going on here. That's why that phrase, under every green tree, it's not just the worship of trees. It's not just the practice. It's the extent that the practice is going on. But you know, we could leave 2 Kings 16 buried in the Old Testament, right? And we could just wag our heads and go, Ahaz, Ahaz, Ahaz. Oh, man, what a rough 16 years that was. What a horrific time. Man, that was one bad man. And we could just leave it there, right? We, we could just tuck this idolatry into one chapter in one book of the Bible. And we could pretend we're done with it. Well, Pastor Bob preached on that. And yeah, now we know what it means for every under every green tree. And we know how bad things were at that time. But you know, the reality of idolatry is this. It's the sin of humanity. Kelvin once said, our hearts are nothing but idol factories. See, 2 Kings chapter 16 is not about the past. 2 Kings chapter 16 is about the present reality. Because it describes for us the sin of humanity. Paul, Romans chapter 1, right? Don't need to reread it. We can summarize it. Paul Romans 1, 18 through 25, what is going on? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they began to worship the thing created rather than the creator. So what happens? God gives them over to the lust of their hearts. What's Paul encountering in Romans chapter 1? But the idolatry of his age. But does Paul say and write to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, keep yourselves from idols. Dear children, writes John, keep yourselves from idols. Because you see the names are changed. the act remains the same. It's the idol-making hearts of people. People who would take a tree and worship it. They still do. Oh, we give it fancy names now. We give it an ism. But we still do it. The value of a tree far surpasses the value of a child in its mother's womb. Don't tell me the tree is not being worshipped when you place the value of a tree as being more important, more valuable. So a teacher can stand in front of a class and tell a class how important a tree is and how important you need to save this tree from the loggers who want to take it down. 
And in the very next lesson you can say, now you see it's every woman's right to do with this fetus what they want to do. If they seek to terminate the fetus's life, that's okay. Tell me, has the tree become a god? No doubt. You see, there's that so that stubborn, that stubborn pride of the human heart. That stubborn pride that keeps saying, I'm right and God's wrong. I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I'm right. I do not sin. I'm right. Oh, the reality. Of that idolatry. Whether it be in the form and shape of a tree. Or whether it simply be that reflection in the mirror. We make so much of ourselves. The sin of humanity. See that's what. That's what 2 Kings is really placing before us. Look, look, these are the covenant people of God. This isn't some foreign nation. These are the people who have the temple. These are the people who are in Jerusalem. These are the people who have the law and the testimonies. These are people who are hearing from the prophets like Isaiah. We much different? Look at all God has given to us. Look at all that God has blessed us. Look, look at the word. And yet, there is that sin of humanity in our hearts. Idolatry. Whether it's idolatry of pride, whether it's the idolatry of stuff, whether it's the idolatry of possessions, whether it's the idolatry of freedom, whether it is the idolatry of recreation. That idolatry. We live in an idolatrous situation. And we can even be more pointed. I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I didn't have to say this. But when you're preparing a message on under every green tree, and you know what the phrase means, you understand what it means, you're going to preach what it means, and then we had what happened in our own town, in one of our own universities that goes by the name of a Christian university. Take place. Don't tell me we're not living in 2 Kings chapter 16. When students can set up a table that condemns the very sins that are taking place under every green tree and have the scripture text to support it. But they are told they must take it down. Oh, it's not just that. Okay? Because that, I can understand. I can understand a university not being able to say, look, whoever wants to just set up a table and display whatever you want. Think of where that's going to go, folks. Right? Right? You got to seek permission. You got to do the right thing. Okay? You got to follow the rules in order to do stuff like that. I get that. I understand that. But that wasn't the backlash. The backlash is, look at these haters. We just love people. Yeah, we just love people to hell is what we do. This is a sin of under every green tree. And it's an abomination to the Lord. 
and look at our society. It is prevalent. It's no longer a secret. And it's flaunted. I'm gay. I'm queer. I'm lesbian. I'm whatever. What are you going to do about it? You say a word about me, man, I'm going to sue you. It's flaunted. This wasn't Grand Valley. This wasn't Ferris. Don't mean to throw those two universities under the bus, but I think you get the point. This was a university that bears the name of the man who said in our hearts, there is an idol factory. Well, there is an idol factory at work. It's horrible. It's despicable. Is it despicable that, that a bunch of college kids go this way? No. But it's despicable that those in charge don't step forward and say something and condemn the practices that take place under every green tree. But my friends, our society gets worse. That's just a small portion. Do you want to know the prevalence of this? Do you want to understand how big this is? Then read what your, our current president is advocating as being one of the hallmark things he is after. It's called the Equality Act. Know what it's going to mean? There are no more males or females. There is no longer going to be a distinction. You walk into a public restroom, you have no clue who's going to be in there, even though it says women, and even though the other one says men. All distinctions are going to be erased. Under every green tree. It's going to become that prevalent in our society. It will be no secret. And it will be flaunted. Indeed it is. Wave the flag. Wave the banner. Gay and proud of it. One ought to be ashamed. One ought to repent. This, my friends, on the very day that was supposed to acknowledge the success of women. So now the women's basketball team is going to have a guy with a beard playing on the women's team who's going to be standing six foot ten. There's a fairness doctrine for you. See, we haven't even begun to unleash the half of it. A church's refusal to perform a gay or lesbian wedding or a transformed, transfigured wedding. You're in the sights. You're in the sights. Under every green tree. This is the society of which we are a part. But once again, looking out there, it's one thing. We need to look in here. What about our heart? But our soul. Remember, these were covenant people. The Apostle John in 1 John and 2 John is, is not writing to pagans. He's, he's writing to believers, and it's keep yourselves from idols. Look out. Don't love the world. 
don't love the stuff of the world. The object of our desire is to be God and God alone. Pastor Bob, this is pretty depressing. Yeah, it is. It really is. It really is. If all we had was 2 Kings 16. But you see, we have more. When Paul comes to the city of Athens, and his heart is just crushed by all the idols that he sees in that city. And when he's given a chance to address the people, he says to them, this is a time God overlooked for a period of time. But now, it's the time to repent. See, that phrase, that phrase, under every green tree, is a call to you and I to repent. To repent of our, our idolatry. To repent of our pride. To repent of our making too much of the stuff of this world. Did you ever wonder why it was that God chose the means of a tree for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Why does the Bible talk about that? Why does the Bible use that phrase? Galatians 3.13, 1 Peter 2.24. Why does it talk about the tree? Could it be because one of the reasons is, is because a tree is a reminder of idolatry as well. It's a reminder of our own idolatry. And as Christ dies upon that tree, by the means of the tree, as the perfect sinless, spotless Lamb of God dies upon that tree, that tree. It's for my idolatry. It's for my sin. It's for the fact that I've made too much of me it's for the fact that I've made too much of the stuff of this world and it's become an object of worship rather than a means of seeing God's blessings. A tree. 1 Peter chapter 2, 24. Let me just read this to you a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. On the tree. A tree that so often used as the picture of idolatry. A tree that is so often used as that which covers over the practices of sin in our hearts and in our lives whether they be sexual or not. A tree that so often stands for that which we make out of the stuff of this world. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like straying sheep 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Colossians reminds us in Colossians 1.20 of the effect of that cross, of the effect of that tree. And the answer is not. What is the effect of the cross? I get to go to heaven. Yes. But that's not the point. That's not the main thing. The main thing is this. All this idolatry that I have in my life, Christ paid for on the cross so that now there is peace. Peace between God and myself. There is shalom. A perfect, abiding peace. Because of what? Because of a tree. Because on that tree, my Savior died. So that I might live in righteousness. The dearest idol that I have known. Help me. Help me. To tear it. For my life and to worship only thee. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you again for the power of your word to speak to our hearts, to speak to our society, to speak to our world. Father, the call of the gospel again is to repent. And to know Christ. Father may we in this week. Bring that message. To our world. Repent. And know Christ. For it is through him. That we have peace with God. Forever and ever. In his name, God's people say, amen. Then I believe on the back of the sermon outline is the hymn, O for a Closer Walk with God. Let's stand to sing.
Amen. As we receive God's parting word to us tonight in this benediction, pray that God would indeed bless you throughout this week and that we will live with those idols torn and, uh, from before his throne and that we will indeed worship and serve only him. And now may the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to smile upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Now go in his name and live as his people. Amen? Amen. Amen.